Welcome to a podcast on fire and this conclusion to my chat, uh, well, Tyler's chat with me. Originally intended as an episode of Tyler Miller's Apologize to the Podcast. Podcast. This uh, 2016 recording never came out due to various life issues being prioritized as they should. And now Tyler has uh, moved on and he hosts his own radio show Trapped in the Screening Room. So I want to thank uh, Tyler again for allowing the use of this chat as I thought it was a fun and well-prepared interview by Tyler. And uh, once this... um, Conclusion is done. Uh, we're gonna fade the music anyway because I kind of do the contact information at the end of uh, the chat from 2016, and it still applies to 2018. But there's some brief contact information to start the show, and this is podcast on fire. Sans any reviews or anything, but plenty of discussion of uh, Asian cinema in this show, and that's what we do here on the network. We're located on podcastonfire.com. This show, the flagship show, Podcast on Fire, covers Hong Kong cinema, new and old, but we also have options for you, such as our Japanese themed and Korean themed shows, Japan on Fire and What's Korean Cinema. We also talk sleazy movies on this week in sleaze. We do bonus episodes every now and again. So I hope we have a show for you, and if you are a New listener, thank you very, very much. Come in and join. We're a friendly bunch. And uh, for anyone who supported us uh, throughout the years and so forth, thank you very, very much for your support. I love you all. And uh, if you want to interact with us, uh, the friendly bunch that we are, you can do so. You can email us, uh, first of all, if you have any questions or feedback. Uh, Podcast on fire at googlemail.com. But if you want to join us over on social media, such as Facebook, click the Facebook button at the top of our website. That will lead you to our page. Uh, But if you Type in Podcast on Fire Network on Facebook. You'll reach the group where we post mainly the show updates, have a good discussion, post uh, funny screen caps, and uh, we are a friendly bunch. So uh, welcome in and uh, let your voice be heard uh, that way too. Click the Twitter button to follow our Twitter feed. Click the iTunes button to subscribe to us on iTunes. And if you like the show, please leave a star rating and even a review. We would very much appreciate that. And if you want to stream us, you can do so on Stitcher Radio. The button leads to their website, but they have applications available on the Apple App Store or Google Play for your various devices. I write about a variety of Hong Kong and Taiwanese genre movies and some other stuff in between over at SoGoodReviews.com. My video hub is SleazyKVideo.com and my tweets are available at SoGoodReviews. Links are available in the show posts, so check it out. In this concluding part, in a way, of um, my chat with Tyler, or rather Tyler's chat with me, to be fair. Uh, we talk Shaw Brothers directors such as uh, Lao Ga Lung and Chang Che. There's further origin stories for network shows such as uh, What's Korean Cinema and This Week in Sleaze. Uh, there's Korean and sleazy recommendations, courtesy of me. And Tyler schools me on Japanese cinema I probably should have known about uh, in 2016, certainly should know about in 2018. But uh, anyway, without further ado, I hope you enjoy this energetic chat uh, added upon um, greatly by Tyler's uh, prep work for the show. Check out this radio show. Links are available. That link is available in the show post. All other relevant links are as well. And that's it. Uh, bye bye for now. And let's uh, wind back to 2016 stupidity from, from me mainly. Uh, but uh, at any rate, enjoy and thank you very much. Um, so I guess moving on to, you know, some more, I guess, quote unquote, classic directors. I have two 
two of my favorite Shaw Brothers directors, and I kind of I know they did more than Shaw Brothers films, but when you mm-hmm. think of some of their bigger movies, they were Shaw Brothers films. Larkin Lam and um, you know Chunche, and um, you know these two directors they're totally different, but you know um, what what's your opinions on uh, Long Car Long? Well, um, you know, Pops, as they used to call him, uh, you know, internationally. Uh, um, you know, Lao Gao Lung was just, um, you know, he lived for Kung Fu. And yet when he started making movies himself, he, he'd been an action director for many years working for Chang Chie. But when he started making movies himself, you realized there was a cinematic craftsman in him. And that's what I always take away from his movies. They were, it was not just because they were shot on the Shaw Brothers lot, but there was a genuine, like, craftsman in there in terms of themes and story and you know kick-ass kung fu you know just watch a movie like challenge of the masters not perfect but the subtext in that one is actually and the subtlety in terms of um empathy really i mean it's a, a group without spoiling it there's a quite distinctive thread on empathy it sort of turns kung fu conventions on their head uh, on its head and mm-hmm. i always find that very moving with Challenge of the Masters. And I mean, he, all the movies were fun that he made, of course, with 36 Chamber of Shaolin, Mad Monkey Kung Fu, and what have you. But there, there, there was always something very technically and thematically strong across his filmography. And uh, I, I always take that away from from uh, Lao Galong's uh, filmography. And, uh, you know, even when he transitioned to making modern action cinema, it, it was okay. I mean, Tiger on the Beat is. A classic, fun, crazy-ass Hong Kong movie with uh, a martial arts master directing that kind of action, you know, with chainsaw duel and giant fat with the um, shotgun, shotgun on a string and stuff like that. That's mm-hmm. marvelous fun. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, even when he returned to it with uh, Drunken Master 2, that Lao Garland style was present, but using, you know, Jack Chan instead. Oh, I mean, it's... Uh, if you've seen a couple of Lao Galong's movies, you realize that it's his voice on there. Oh, yeah. And uh, we know Jackie Chan took over essentially the final sequence, but otherwise it's uh, it's so joyous to see Lao Galong still having it in him during his somewhat older years. I mean, he passed away in 2014, maybe? So, yeah. I mean, uh, it was like 20, 20, and Drunken Master 2 was 20 years before, but he was still, you know, in slight elder years, you know. 60 mm-hmm. or whatever so uh i always take that away from his movies there there's they're not simple kung fu generic kung fu fests or anything they were um they were bigger than that in my opinion mm-hmm. my, my favorite film that he directed was actually heroes of the east or um oh yes oh i can't remember the alternate title but uh Sha- shaolin challenges ninja i think yes i think that was that or versus i think it was challenges though and mm-hmm. What was great about that movie was I, I kind of watched it once, you know, thought, okay, this is a really good martial arts picture. But what kind of struck me about it, and especially after listening to the Bay Logan commentary on the um, on the U.S. disc, it's a movie where, especially nowadays with the mainland China-influenced movies with kind of the subtle racism towards Japan, mm-hmm. this, this is a movie where, you know, Japanese martial artists are giving equal respect. And, I mean, yes, it's kind of semi-biased, because the protagonist is Chinese, but they're they're given respect, and really, there's not anyone. No one dies in the film. Exactly, it's, it's not a bloodthirsty film. That's a, the wonderful thing. It's yeah. uh, about that they they do square off, but it's not a bloodthirsty film at all. You're absolutely spot on. Mm-hmm. So that that's another example of Lao Galong 
and his writer, of course, but still him thinking, you know, thinking more deeply about how we craft cinema. You know, we don't not we're not going to churn out this Jackie Chan comedy copy or anything. No, we're going to yeah. make something here, and uh, certainly did. It's a it's a strong strong movie. Oh yeah, absolutely great. Um, and I guess since uh, we were covering him, you know, so what's your thoughts on Mr. Chun Che? Legendary director, but even though I don't prefer. Like, like he he done so many he did so many movies that inevitably you know style changes and skill changes as well. But you know I'm, I'm not necessarily a big fan of the period when the Five Venoms were was made and you know those Brave Archer movies that I have no idea what's happening in no idea. <laughs> but you know I respect anyone like tuning their voice and changing up their voice. I just prefer Shang Chi as a swordplay drama director. Because if you look at one on Swordsman, you look at uh, Golden Swallow, uh, The Assassin, even uh, movies like uh, Vengeance, The Duel. These like raw, sometimes kung fu movies, sometimes sword play movies. They, I, I enjoyed the dramatic voice that he had in him. That was very strong and uh, like culminating, I think, the best in disciples of shaolin which doesn't sound like it's a drama or anything i I think that's the weaker part of that movie it's it's title in english anyway Mm -hmm. but it's a very dark and felt drama uh, remade by johnny toe actually as the barefoot kid okay uh, later on so uh, but i I enjoy i I enjoy that uh, nature to a filmmaker that changes up his or her voice throughout his career i mean you know even some of the post Shaw brothers movies these low budget sort of kooky movies they're, they're good fun there's a movie called nine demons that uh just had a dvd release in the uk so people can finally see it but it's a kooky as low budget supernatural movie mm-hmm. and um and and obviously stuff like uh, shanghai 13 is just the sort of greatest hits of uh, martial arts fighters that all worked with Chang Che, and it's mm-hmm. sort of people have said like it's the expendables of uh, Hong Kong cinema, <laughs> martial arts movies, and they're not far off because it's they're all in there, man. Yeah, they're all in there. It's all good fun. Uh, that, that's despite being on my short list of movies to watch, I have it, yeah. you know, ready. I just haven't got to it yet. Like, like I, I single out the Five Venoms just an, as an example of the period I'm not necessarily fond of. It's an okay movie. I'm not the biggest fan of it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a four out of five movie for me. It's a three out of five movie for me. Um, I it tickles me when I think about it, and this is just my fault of having watched too many movies elsewhere. There's music in the Five Venoms that I think is like library music, yeah. but regardless, it turns up in the, during the opening credits of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Okay, <laughs> and all I can think you know, of, like uh, watching the Five Venoms, that someone's going to stop the movie. If you remember the gag during the yeah. whole grail, that uh, we've sacked the original credit makers and we hired some <laughs> new ones, and let's resume now. And I just, th- I just think it would be wonderful to do the five and stop the movie. Mm-hmm. We've sacked the kung fu talent, and we're now bringing in some new people. And here we are, <laughs> and here we go again. Yep. And then of so. course there was the Ingmar Bergman gag, which um, <laughs> where where they do the Swedish subtitles for the for the movie, and I'm just like, okay, which okay, they're, they're, not... they're talking about uh, encountering moose and stuff like that, and they. <laughs> <laughs> And then it turns into credit sequence about llamas and stuff. So welcome to <laughs> Monty Python movie, ladies and gents. Yeah, so, which yeah. I guess um, that was that was going to be a silly question I had for you, but um, you know, since since you, you you were born and raised in Sweden, right? Mm-hmm. Um, did you know? Is there a big 
place for Igmark Bergman films, or is that just kind of a, a stereotype of the country? Because oh, sure, came... sure. I mean, uh, I think uh, Criterion in the US are probably flying the flag a little bit more strongly, and they've had for so many decades with uh, you know Laserdisc and DVD and now Blu-ray releases. But uh, you know, he's, he's known and respected. I've not seen many. Well, I've seen. I think I've seen one and a half because I couldn't finish one. And yeah. again, this is me being too stupid. I started watching the Seventh Seal. And I couldn't get it. I didn't understand oh, it. Yeah. And they, that's not to say it's a bad movie. It looked gorgeous, but I just couldn't get into it. But I, then I watched, uh, uh, well, it's called Smultron Stellet in Swedish, um, but I don't remember the English title now. But uh, Wild Strawberries, possibly, is the English title. Um, yeah, is it about the, the older teacher? Yes, who uh, yeah. goes on a road trip and things like that. Quite enjoyable because it was sort yeah. of a straight, straight drama and. Uh, and I enjoy the cinematic touches, but uh, for, for sure, for sure, it's big here in Sweden. I enjoy Swedish cult cinema more than anything else, yeah. like uh, like movies like Evil Ed, and uh, there's an action movie called War Dog that's okay. just uh, just amazing. They rig up these amazingly big squibs on people for a sequence in that movie, and it's just okay. good, good, good action fun. But they're, they're like, you know. Just like the ninja movies that um, that director made, uh, Mats Helge, I believe, mm-hmm. they're not respected as such here. Like, but they're cult <laughs> movies, and they should be cult movies. And I enjoy that part of Swedish cinema okay. more, more to uh, to sort of um, mm-hmm. explore that uh, our ninja cinema nonetheless. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. I just I was and, just curious because I mean, for someone who actually lives there and they're watching Monty Python, like, is that a joke that is actually funny, or you're just like, oh, okay. it's, it's hilarious because. <laughs> like, what they do with the Holy Grail, like the subtitles, they use, uh, they, I mean, it's a silly thing where they're talking about, I was attacked by a moose once. and, uh, <laughs> and but, but like they switch out, the letters are like a mixture between, mixture between like Norwegian and Danish letters as well. And I think that's the joke. They're very okay. aware of that. They're, they're not, they're, they're doing a very st- sort of our view of, Oh, a, of like a Bergman movie but uh, a Scandinavian type of style and we're going to be super silly about it so mm. you know we get it and it's super it's super funny you don't need to be Swedish necessarily you just need mm. to appreciate that now they're doing a moose joke yeah you know, I deal with wasn't that. sure but it was something that was like they were you know because sometimes when it comes to like translation here you know they'll mix up like um, one thing that always bugs me is like Cannibal Run where Jackie Chan's playing a Japanese uh, yeah. race car driver and i wasn't sure if it was something where they were using the wrong kind of subtitles and it was like offensive to people who actually live no in not at yeah. all i mean uh, if you if i'm gonna feel offended by anything they really need to cut to the core of uh you know of who we are as a people and i don't think movies do that so it's, yeah. it's, it's all good fun you know we're never offended by the swedish chef saying bork bork or anything it's super funny <laughs> Super funny because he says bork bork meatballs. Like he uses very pronounced English and then boo boo boo. You know, it's, it's it's all good fun, man. It's all good fun. Oh yeah. It was just one of those things where I was kinda of curious and like, wait a minute. Switching gears a little bit, we've kinda of covered um Hong Kong cinema. Um now you've already really mentioned your introduction into Korean films, but since doing the the podcast, you know, what's Korean cinema, do you have any new favorite Korean movies? of any kind that you like watch repeatedly or is it more just I watched it for the show I appreciated it and I kind of move on I mean uh, it, it's part that I think because you want to revisit something but then you don't for a while because you're busy with so many other things I mean I I, I watch a lot of movies but a lot of them are for this unpaid work uh, but the ones that stand out that I've discovered throughout the shows uh, you know both the old ones I mean that we can watch for free on the on the official Korean 
Film Archive YouTube channel. I mean, there's some classic black and white crime movies there. A movie called Flower in Hell mm -hmm. from from the director of you know the director was that was supposedly kidnapped. Uh, you know, and made Pulgasari. That's uh, Shin Sang Ok. So he made Flower in Hell and tons of other known movies okay. before that happened. So documentary coming out uh, soon, I think about. Um, yeah, uh, uh, the kidnapping, uh, like a US produced a documentary. I saw a trailer for it. Mm -hmm. Le really, like, amped up the sort of thriller aspect of it. It sounded yeah. fri frightening. <laughs> the only thing I'm worried about is apparently they're not really going to talk much about Polgasori. So they might, like, mention it a little bit. So. Yeah. I mean, it's the sort of kidnapping, I guess, is the focus of it. But uh, Flower in Hell is a good old movie to uh, to check out. But uh, I, I love two movies in particular and they're sort of quirky Korean comedies but you know they do that so well a very dry type of humor they do that so well and one movie is Cast Away on the Moon okay. which is about this man who's uh, he's, uh, he's in debt and he plans to kill himself and he jumps off the bridge and lands no it's not a high fall so he lands on this little piece of island that's just on the outside of presumably Seoul mm-hmm so he's not far from the city, but he becomes stranded. No one sees that he's a castaway, essentially, on an island that's very close to the city. So he starts a life there. And that's sort of is a springboard for some heartfelt stuff and some very kooky and quirky and mm -hmm. very playful cinematic stuff. And uh, I love the actor in it. I became a huge fan of just watching him just dive into that role. Uh, uh, Jong Jae Young, I believe his name is. And the other movie that stands out in this coverage with that actor is a movie called Going by the Book, which okay. is a wonderful, droll comedy. It's made, you know, 70 years ago or whatever. whatever. So they're, they're fairly new movies. In my eyes, that's a new movie, even though people might find that to be old cinema. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But it's, about, it's the same lead actor, Jong Jae-young, and he stars as a cop that's, you know, he goes by the book. No rules to be broken. Like, even if the new police chief... Passes the speed limit, he's going to give the new police chief a ticket. <laughs> he's going to respect him, but he still needs to have his ticket because he did wrong. So um, they uh, put together this training exercise to sort of uh, elevate their, uh, their sort of rep and their status in the eyes of the society. And they, they're going to stage a bank robbery as an exercise. And they pick this uh, police officer, or he gets the sort of a lottery ticket to play the robber. And the thing is, because he's a really good cop, He's also a very good robber. Yeah. <laughs> because he really just makes that exercise a headache for the new police chief and all of that. And uh, it's a wonderfully fun movie. And uh, so going by the book and Cast Away on the Moon are sort of, those are the ones I return to because they, they are approachable too. Uh -huh. They're not purely Korean or anything. You don't need to know the Korean mindset. You just sort of need to have an, a like for sort of droll, dry, quirky humor. Like if you like the, the style of Johnny Toe in certain movies, even in PTU, that kind of humor is evident in these two uh, these two movies. Okay, well then I'll definitely check those out. Because um, really, with my exposure to Korean films, it's pretty much just the basic drama or action films. So like Old Boy, The Host, oh oh Good Bad the Weird, which is actually really fun. I love Good Bad Weird. Um, but th those that's kind of my exposure to Korean films. So I'm looking mm. forward to checking out some of the comedies. And it looks like they're actually available on uh, either... Well, I mean, there's Korean discs, but there is actually a couple of U.S. discs that are pretty cheap. Mm -hmm. So I'll have to check them out. So I guess switching over to a country that's very close to Korea with uh, Japanese cinema. Um, I just had a couple quick questions about Japanese films. So are you a kaiju movie fan or Japanese science fiction in general? 
Uh, yeah, I'd say so. I, I just explore very slowly uh, because it's um, it's not something I grew up on. So I need to sort of I need to buy it and get it uh, slowly but surely. Do my research in terms of what what discs are uh, worth getting and all of that. But uh, so I, I've seen a fair amount of Godzilla movies and Gamera. I've seen uh, I've seen them all. I think uh, other than the newest one, the Gamera the Brave one, I've never seen that. Oh. Uh, it's got its moments. <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, I, you know, in general, I am absolutely. I, I, I take my sweet time with uh, Japan, uh, and but but there are several things that uh, that appeal to me. Kaiju being being uh, being uh, one of them, but um, and anime so, certainly. But uh, still, it's a slow uh, exploration just because I spend so much time on other crap. So mm. therefore. There's not a whole lot of time to watch respectable cinema, but I do my I do my best. Oh, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, you need to see Godzilla versus the Smog Monster or Godzilla versus Hedora. That is very respectable. No one really dislikes any Godzilla movie, but but mileage varies, I guess, uh, depending yeah. on the viewer you are. Some are more kookier than others. I mean, I could recognize that Son of Godzilla is sort of uh, it's a cut and paste job, so obviously it's it's quite lazy. Uh, I, I think they reuse like footage from other movies and uh yeah, to wrap yeah. that around the story of the son of godzilla and the kid and but it's still it's still enough fun i've never disliked anything really but i i know where some class resides and some class does not yeah. i think um the thing about the one i was kidding about but um godzilla versus hedra it's not a quote-unquote good movie but it's a very weird movie that the director um you know yotsumitsu bono he he wanted to have this political message or not political he wanted this environmental message in the film mm-hmm. and he had a slash budget and instead of from my understanding i think i'm pretty sure i don't want to name a historian because i don't want to misquote them but apparently um to the best of my understanding they didn't really have much of a second unit so he was having to direct the special effects himself and the oh. movie wow so um it's just it's a huge movie for him and it's fascinating because it's his only movie that he directed because he he was a producer and it's such a wacky crazy movie but they had like no budget and he wanted to make this very art house statement and apparently it was just too radical <laughs> so i mean uh, uh, you well yeah i mean it's commercialism isn't it so not everything fits into commercialism no matter how valid your your thoughts are so i guess uh, but it uh, sounds like a an interesting time and um oh, I, yes. I i love any facts that are attached to a movie like that where it's quote-unquote problematic and people are allowed to talk about it too so it's not a state oh, secret yeah. about uh, what went on so uh, duly noted yeah no one was kidnapped moving on to some of the these are kind of the, the next four i have are more they they did a variety of genres but for the most part they're known in the west and probably abroad and in different places in europe for their crime pictures but um, what um, are you a fan, or have you seen a lot of the work of uh, Takeshi Miike? Um, yeah, well, I've seen a few movies. Wouldn't say I'm a big, big fan, uh, but I, but I appreciate anyone who's that productive and again uses his voice in such a variety of ways. Uh, I mean, I I do. You know, when I think Miike, I think the Dead or Alive movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, two, one, two, and three, being these different exercises in terms of that. Because Dead or Alive 1, if I remember rightly, is just out of this world crazy and like it ends on a big bad guy versus bad guy finale and it sort of takes place in space, I think, or the entire world explodes at the end. <laughs> and that's just fun, man. Like That's just taking it to the next level. And then you have Dead or Alive 2, which I think was a very quiet movie. Yeah. Um, a little bit more of a drama. And Dead or Alive 3, I think, was sci-fi. 
Mm-hmm. So um, even with a fair amount of Hong Kong cast in that one. So I enjoy that. Can't say I follow a lot of it. I've not seen Itchy the Killer or anything like that. So I mean, I, I, I'm aware of him, but I like filmmakers like Sabu a lot better. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, Monday, Dungan Runner, um, mm-hmm. Unlucky Monkey, things like that. Uh, so uh, um, and Sabu is in Itchy the Killer uh, to some degree. He plays a police officer, I believe, yeah. um, in Itchy the Killer. I think he's uh, one of the main police officers in the movie. Yeah, um, you always really... see him in uh, advertising material, so he okay. must have. A decent role in it. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't really seen many films by Sabu. I've seen the little gifs of you know, like is it Monday where the guy's drunk and he's dancing around? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a wonderful one. scene. <laughs> that is a crazy ass movie because it seems goofy and it's like a statement on gun violence, possibly. Okay. That that you watch that, like, are you are you really serious with anything, or are you just having fun with it? Because it mm-hmm. seems serious, but it isn't. Or is it? What are you doing with me? I love it. <laughs> that's a fascinating. He's a fascinating director for the fact that, um, you know, well, two. I mean, one. If you if you look up Sabu, you're going to get multiple different you know pop yep. ups. But um, but he's just a weird director because until I saw the coverage that you guys did on Japan and Fire, I had no mm-hmm. idea who he was. I knew that yep. he was an actor in Ichi the Killer, but I didn't know he was a director. So he's, a, he's, a, he's done some versatile things. I even liked his. Um... Manga adaptation, Bunny Drop or Usagi Drop. I thought that was a very sweet movie, but then he did like uh, you know this black and white zombie movie called Miss Zombie, which yes. was very good. And uh, I just got his latest. I think we're gonna try and do a bonus episode on it because we talked about it at the time uh, when it came out in the cinemas. But I just got it got it on Blu-ray. Uh, his latest latest movie, Chester Case Journey, okay. which seemed sort of upbeat and goofy. But who knows? I'm going in uh, going in blind. It's um, mm-hmm. It's a it's like like it's about this like partly set in heaven and this uh, sort of tea boy comes down to earth to save uh, to save someone that's destined to die or whatever. So it's a little bit um, kooky like that. So who knows? Mm-hmm. Might be good. Might be trash. We'll okay. see. Well, um, you know, going off of that, um, I guess the other notorious Takeshi is uh, Takeshi Kitano or Beat Takeshi. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with his work at all or like any of his films? Yeah, a little bit. I saw a few of them were on satellite TV in the nineties, like Sonatine, and uh, I think I think that was it. I think, but I really I remember liking that it had a quirky style that I responded to and a very violent uh, violent style mm-hmm. to it. And I think that was it. But, I, but I've seen you know movies that he only appeared in. There is a movie called Is it Gojin? Gojin something. Oh, he, where he's got the um, the eye patch. Yeah, I believe yes. so. And he play he plays a. He, he, He's gay in the movie, but he it's not really like, a, here's the big gay movie for oh, Takeshi no, Kitano. very menacing. <laughs> I wouldn't want to mess with him. And I thought that was very, very fun. Uh, I don't think he directed that, but uh, uh, so, so I, I enjoy his... Um, oh, I see Hanabi once upon a time. I just remember it being violent, but I, I mm-hmm. probably didn't understand the artistic style of it back then. But uh, he had a thing for, you know, really surprising violence uh, i think some of his artier movies are probably not for me necessarily they seem a bit more self-indulgent but he's a he's a guy you, you just admire anyone who can do that and then be a goofy game show host as well mm-hmm. and just do just about anything uh, so yeah. I, I mean i admire him and but there's still stuff to explore for me uh personally uh, i mean you mentioning him I, I assume you have both an admiration for him and mike to oh, a degree yeah. i um well mike i respect for the fact that he he never really repeats himself. I mean, occasionally he does, but he he can direct a kids movie that's PG, and then he can do something like Ichi the Killer, which is extremely violent. And 
not to get too explicit on the show, but when you're when your opening credit title is a cum shot, that's pretty right radical. On. <laughs> right on. I'm in. Um, oh yeah, I'm in. each of the killers lost one. That's one I think you'll enjoy, Ken. Um, it gets a little self-important uh, towards the middle where it tries to moralize some of the characters and then it kind of drops it, but eh. <laughs> um, but I mean, I really like Mike. And as for Kentano, I kind of discovered him from Solitaine. I saw Solitaine. It just blew me away when I first saw the movie. Because um, I, I initially rented um, the US DVD is a double feature with um, his Zatoichi film. And that's why I, I bought the disc was I was going through a Zatoichi kick and watching all the movies and I wanted to see what he did. And I saw Solitaine and it just, it floored me. I mean, I, it's still one of my favorite movies of all time. It seemed like uh, that's him at a creative high. It really seemed like everybody was on board with that kooky humor, uh, but also this quite violent uh, oh. gangster style. So yeah, I do remember very, that. Very shocking. Um, and and if you're and if you get to it, I mean, I wouldn't say they need to be on the top of your recommendation list, but both of the outrage films that have came out recently, they're they're both very solid. Mm-hmm. Um, they're more traditional Yakuza pictures, but they're very out there. And if you don't like the dentist, there is one scene in the first outrage that will make you cringe. <laughs> <laughs> All right, only yeah, I, I do remember those coming out. I didn't know he made two though, but I, I do remember mm-hmm. outrage was sort of a return to directing or something like that so and it's and it's weird because outrage is not as artistic it seems like it's more i i've heard from some you know fans that it's more shallow before i watched it and then i saw it it's not that it's more shallow or him kind of selling out it's just it's more streamlined and more straightforward it's not as self-indulgent in places it's more like a normal movie that's not really artistic so if you're just in the mood for a an action-packed Yakuza movie with too many characters and too many plot twists. It's 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 quite good. And that's part of the fun sometimes with Yakuza movies. And they're all always, um, most of them are always going to be available, thankfully. So compared to Hong Kong cinema, Japanese cinema stays in circulation uh, for, 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 <laughs> yes. long, for longer because uh, rights are picked up by people who stay in business rather yeah. than, uh, so, and then like, that creates like a rights snafu, which happens with Hong Kong cinema a lot. But uh, yeah, that's good to hear. Oh yeah, and and I guess speaking of um, Yakuza pictures, um, um, since you've been going to some of the older like Chumbara films and '60s and '70s movies, um, are you very familiar with Kenji Fukusaku? Or not very? It, it, it kind of would be the fair fair answer. I mean, I've seen Battle Royale. I mean, that's obviously. Great movie. I hope it holds up. But I'm aware of his. Um, I think you know the first one I saw just because I picked it up on VHS, thinking it could be like a Hong Kong movie. I saw of a Triple Cross because I okay. picked up a VHS of that uh, many many moons ago. Okay. Um, but um, I've I've not explored a lot. I, mean, I know he's done those Battles Without Honor and Humanity series, but it's one of those. It's always going to be out there. It just came out on a big Blu-ray set, and I'm sure it's going to stay in print. Uh, so. Uh, I um I'll get to it. I mean it's it sort of needs to it sort of needs to be um an interesting there to look at that. Yeah. You know. So and and kaiju sort of on, on the flip side. You know if you talk about smog monster in you know yeah. <laughs> sign me up right and and for, with Fukasaka I sort of need to look into what kind of style are we doing. Oh, you know, green here, slime. So. You need to see green slime. Oh, I think I've seen that. Uh, wasn't that sort of a co-production US co-production? I remember it's, there was like um English language sections. 
yeah, it's um the I'm for the most part it's a made in Japan, but it's a Japanese, Italian, US co-production. But uh-huh. there's not a single Japanese cast member. So it's like the first kaiju-esque movie because they're not really giant monsters but it's a monster movie in japan but there's not a single japanese character so it's really yeah. unusual it was, but, it maybe being fun enough like undemanding and fun enough oh yeah and it's got a great soundtrack with lots of funk music and uh it, it's it's a great little 60s movie but a lot of people forget that it's a japanese monster movie because there's not many japanese characters in it I mean, just look at a title like The Green Slime. Aren't you, like, interested, like, 100% immediately? Like, I'm looking at your movie. Tell me me what your story is. Like, (laughs) so, I mean, I'm more, I I guess that gives the impression that it's correct that I'm more into, you know, genre, cinema, exploitation cinema, and sort of a B, B movie, but the B movies, I say, lovingly. I mean, mean, even, like, I've only seen, I think, one Kurosawa film, and that's like an exploration exploration that will happen but if i think of a samurai movie i think like lone wolf and cub i think hands of a racer and late snowblood and stuff like that that's my type of you know just a little bit more i don't know entertaining cinema and and and, and not that kurosawa was you know wasn't entertaining but it seems a bit more demanding ever so slightly and i kind of like to just sit down with with a lone wolf and cub or a hands of a razor yeah. and just uh, watch Shintaro Katsu do his thing, <laughs> you know, in the case of hands of a razor. But uh, yeah, so, so train, uh, he has to train that penis to do a lot of terrible things. Oh man, that movie. You, well, I, I guess that's one thing I would say about, uh, you know, Fukusaku is he pretty much did every kind of exploitation movie under the sun. Not, not to push you towards his films, but I think you'll enjoy more of his movies because they are from the same era is yeah. Lone Wolf and Cub. They're they're a little more exploitive and they're not as um with the exception of the Battles Without Honor and Humanity films, they're not as demanding. They're they're not as complex because a lot of negative things about Yakuza films is uh not really the content but how convoluted they get. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm pretty I'm a pretty stupid viewer as well, so I need uh, yeah. my cinema to be simple. So yeah, yeah, he said. <laughs> I'll say I'm a pretty stupid viewer. Yeah, yeah, you are. You are. <laughs> no, but um, I, I understand that, like, um, like for me, it's I feel terrible because um, I didn't pick it up, but the original uh, U.S. collection of, um, it's called Yakuza Papers here, but the, the Battles Without Honors Humanity films, it came with a little fold-out with a timeline, so you uh-huh. could easily follow along and figure out who the characters oh. are, because there's characters who are mentioned, like, in a split-second line of dialogue who show up at the end of the movie... And they kill someone, and it's like, oh, this is surprising. And it's like, oh, no, it foreshadowed it, but it was so subtle. You had to be, like, super paying attention to every little detail, you know? They should do, they should do that with these colorful wuxia pictures, like from Shaw Brothers, all those Cho Yun movies that mm-hmm. Gu Long wrote that are killer clans and clans of intrigue. Oh, just killer clans. I had to watch twice. <laughs> you can't penetrate those for, like, okay, or well, now and then the bad guy reveal and no one has seen that person before. Who even understands who he is, but that's the bad guy reveal. And I've realized with those pictures, though, you have to sort of let them wash over you and just realize that you're you're super stupid. I, <laughs> me, me, that is, I'm saying me. And uh, just let them uh, wash over you. There, there, was, there was a movie that uh, we covered on one show that actually parodied this. Uh, it's called Legend of the Owl. It's the closest Hong Kong at that point in the early 80s have ever come to sort of an airplane spoof type of movie. And they did a reveal at the end of it 
the bad guy reveals himself behind the mask, the owl mask, and the main characters go, uh, no, we don't know who you are. Don't <laughs> recognize you. And he tried to s- fill them in and Oh. No, nope. Still doesn't recognize you, but we'll we'll have a fight. So, but uh, <laughs> but yeah. So, but that, that that that's a clever idea, like a bit of a bit of a diagram for for viewers like me to have. Like, oh, if, yeah. was it a big fold out thing? Like, uh, oh, it yeah. looks it, small and then it folds out into something it's, epic. It's it's it starts out as a um, it's it's in the liner notes, but you have to unfold it like a big treasure map. Jesus, and uh, <laughs> it was hilarious. But that set that that set's actually fairly cheap to get i mean yeah it's still about like 60 or 70 dollars but if you buy them individually it gets to be that much anyway but um Mm -hmm. i'm more interested in the arrow blu-rays because they actually have commentaries and Mm -hmm. you know if it's one of those cases where a movie's too complex because sometimes i can just be very unattentive with some films um sometimes when i have a commentary there to kind of give me historical comp you know um context for everything i'll enjoy it more because the first time Mm -hmm. i saw um last hurrah for chivalry going back to john woo i kind of didn't really see the appeal i mean i saw that it was a beautiful movie but i was confused with the human plot and then i watched it with the bay logan commentary and he kind of in detail explained all the plot points and i rewatched like oh hey that's what was Mm. going on during this yeah i've had those examples too that were like okay I, i can go back with a little bit more more meat uh, and uh, be ready for it a little bit more. So uh, oh, that's yeah. and, and, and it's nice too that a movie didn't turn you off completely. Uh, mm-hmm. In terms of uh, it's incoherent, I don't want to see see it again. Like you gave, you could give it another chance, which oh, is yeah. which I'm is a cool. Very stubborn viewer, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll sit there and sit through garbage just to be like, look, I will it sit. Must this. mean something. I will watch Death Proof four times because that's the oh, that that's a very odd Tarantino movie. Um, Good. Don't get me started on that. Or <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, it's not one of the ones I I like. Yeah, it's probably one I like least oh, from yeah. him. Jackie Let's Brown's my favorite. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I'd agree I with that. Uh, probably, probably Reservoir Dogs for me, just because it's it still works for me. I like actors acting. I like actors oh, yeah. talking a lot. So I'm, I'm gonna, you know, you really should write a book. It's gonna be called Actors Acting. It needs to happen, Ken. Well, the only sentence that will, will be in the book is essentially watch Reservoir Dogs and watch Glengarry Glen Ross have fun. You know, <laughs> and apparently that Whiplash movie is really good, so I need to check that out. Yep, saw that. That was good fun too. Well, good uh, fun. It was good, and a movie about drumming was yeah. pretty riveting. You never thought a movie about a drummer could be so intense. Um, yeah, <laughs> but um, I guess going on with more outlandish yakuza um directors um one that comes to mind and i guess he's more obscure but criterion's released a lot of his output is sinjin suzuki um are you familiar with him at all or not really that's a name that's completely off my radar my friend but if criterion likes him then there must be something something there you said obscure but criterion still yeah found him well a lot of his movies what's interesting about him is to the best of my understanding and maybe i'm reading the wrong articles but um he, um, you know, you know how the Japanese film industry was pretty much this big factory, and it kind of dived off in the '70s because of television. Mm-hmm. He worked for Nukatsu Studios, and they were one of the oldest Japanese um, companies, and they were just releasing all these very, you know, cookie cutter uh, crime movies. And he was assigned projects from the um, from the company, and. He he pretty much was given free reign to do what he wanted as long as he delivered these exploitable elements like betrayal yeah. and having some gunfights. 
And his movies became progressively more and more artistic to the point where he made one called Branded to Kill. That was oh, yeah. so outlandish that um, he was fired for being incoherent. <laughs> wow. And it is a gorgeous... I mean, I just got for my birthday um, um, the Criterion Blu-rays of Brand to Kill and Tokyo Drifter. And uh-huh. if, you get a, if you get a chance, I would recommend them. If if you have Hulu in Sweden, I'm not sure. But if you have a streaming well, well, site... Well, I don't, but I can get Hulu if uh, and pay for it if I'm a little bit savvy. And uh, yes, so I'll, okay. I'll just say that. But... but it's one of those, or if there's some kind of streaming site where you don't want to buy the discs, but you can get a hold of it, I would I would recommend checking those two out. Yeah, Hulu's good for the Criterion collection, obviously. And, and I, I like the stuff on there that isn't on Criterion Disc. I mean, Hands of a Racer is on... The criteria yeah. in the Criterion collection, and I'm hoping, like, holy crap, maybe there's a disc coming, but maybe there won't be because they don't put out everything they have in their catalog. That's uh, yeah. and 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 I like that option. Well, it's on Hulu in good quality instead. Yeah, so they, you can have did. it. Uh, they did some movies from uh, you know June Fukuda, who did some of the later Godzilla films, like you mm-hmm. know, Son of Godzilla and uh, Godzilla versus Mega Godzilla, which is awesome. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, but um. Some of his crime movies are available through Hulu. Um, I guess switching gears a little bit, since you were talking about more exploitable films, um, are you a fan of any of the Pinku films? Well, in in general, I am. I just haven't explored much there either. Some for work. I mean, I think Josh showed me one of the high school sort of teenage high school da 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 something. Okay. It was really good. Uh, Terrifying Lynch School or something? I think so. The titles are just so damn complex and long for my tiny brain, so sometimes I forget them. But I like the idea of it. It's a fascinating uh, era of movies. I remember distinctly uh, there was almost a rule book in terms of how you make Pinku films. you got to have this and this type of element in it. Mm -hmm. And it was sort of, you would think that those rules were, were about response was about responsible content but those rules were more about no sex and boobies and gore uh, (laughs) in these scenes and then you can do whatever serious statements you want surrounding that (laughs) and and i I love that like it's a social commentary but with you know exploitation elements And, and and i love that sort of it's reversed almost because you'd think like studios and stuff looking for commercialism would look for maybe not as adult commercialism but seemingly that was big businessman so they demanded it to be super smutty and super sleazy but as a filmmaker you can be serious if you just adhere to how many sex scenes we want and blah 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 i'm aware of that but not seen uh, enough uh, and i I don't keep a list uh, but when i do sort of like "Hmm," i look into some stuff I think there's easy to find a couple of recommenda- recommendations, uh, you know, off the bat. I mean, I've seen the first female Scorpion movie. If that counts as Pinku, yeah. I'm not sure. But uh, it was good. It's good. Oh, damn so good. Uh, I'll say it again. Japanese cinema has a tendency to always be out there. And, uh, you know, out there as crazy, but always be available too. Yeah. And uh, so, so I guess that's why I'm not... Uh, jumping on everything uh, you know immediately i mean in terms of japan recently i focused more on anime and, and more on some of the those uh, those exploitation type of samurai movies that i've that i've talked about so it's been my mm-hmm. current focus and uh, i mean we, we all buy stuff but we also need to sort of realize that we need to watch our stuff you know the piles keep growing and i'm 
I try to be disciplined and not buy too much. So uh, mm, that's what I'm well, focusing on, on now. I try not to overbuy, but sometimes it's like if I see a deal, I got to go for it. You know, for someone who keeps saying something about not being an intelligent viewer, that was a very good analysis of Pinku films. So Pulled that out of my ass. I, was, I had it somewhere, that knowledge. And it was probably down there. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I remember that was just being like, wow. You could be an exploitation filmmaker. You need to be an exploitation filmmaker. But if you want to be serious, that's second. Yeah. You can be, as long as you do the smutty stuff for us. Yeah, you so. need, if you want to have an environmental message, it has to involve a swimsuit contest and lots of, lots yeah. of sex. Well, I guess since we're already on this topic, I kind of you know, placed the questions this way. Now, you kind of joke all the time that, oh, well, I just review porn. and um, It's not a joke. But um, I, I don't know. You do more than porn, I think. But I do. But but uh, it's a uh, well. I, I never say I review porn exclusively. It's just a sort of a, <laughs> a fun way to sort of uh, make my voice not important at all. And it isn't really important. But uh, but yes, there, yeah. there there is a point to that uh, silly joke. That's one of those things where like I I don't know. You might be selling yourself short there. But um, but despite that, um, you do have a very interesting show on um one of the shows on Podcast on Fire, um you know this week in Sleaze. So what kind of inspired that? Was it just it didn't fit into the other ones and you needed to make a subcategory? Or was there a particular reason you wanted to have this weekend sleaze? I think it comes down to what I told earlier, uh, that I the stuff I'm passionate about that I think deserves a voice sometimes has generated a show. You know, sometimes it generates a review. But sometimes, you know, also there's more to a topic than just a special, right? Sometimes a topic deserves a series. And I always had the, I always take this serious, Tyler, even though they're, we're talking about wacky, kooky, sleazy movies. Yeah, but there's always like, like the motto, if anything, of all I do is context, info and fun, you know, mm. uh, unless it's a very dark and depressing movie like Men Behind the Sun or something oh, like boy. that. But, but you know, it's important to me to set up that there is context behind it. And um, so, I mean, it's it's a motto for really everything I do. And, you know, This Week in Sleaze is you know mainly focused on the Hong Kong adult movie of a particular era mainly. We do newer movies too, but they're more sparse. And in the nineties there were not sparse. There were a lot of them out there, whether fantasy tinted sex comedies, mm-hmm. exploitation movies are based on real crimes, you know, dark stories, but also just low budget, boring looking sex comedy starring starring some <laughs> starring mostly my favorite on screen pervert, Charlie Cho. <laughs> and it's a joyous sort of era because it's business, and I, I I find the aspect of film business very fascinating. Sometimes when something hits it big, and how people run with it badly, and some run with it in a very honed and skillful way. Mm-hmm. And I think that that Hong Kong cinema period, where a lot of these movies were made, bad and good, it's very fascinating and deserves. You know that that was sort of my entryway into the series. It deserves a voice. Uh, uh, both these classy movies and some of these not so classy movies, because you need to give the era an overview of what was good and what was bad, what's what's worth pursuing, what isn't worth pursuing, and um, mm-hmm. it's just fascinating to me. Like uh, some business practices, shameless or not, are very um, they're very fascinating to me, including that category free era that uh, mm-hmm. that you 
referred to. And Category 3 is the highest rating in Hong Kong. It's uh, your NC-17 slash R, uh, you yeah. know, depending on the movie. But uh, it became sort of a symbol for the adult movie, but it is a rating, as a matter of fact. Yeah. It's it's the, you know, some of the roughest movies, some of the craziest movies, and uh, all that. And, and, and they don't, they're, they're not necessarily roughest either. M- movies with questionable moral content and language get can get a category yeah. three rating uh, you know johnny toe's election was a category three movie um based on triad s- signage there uh, in the movie but the the whole poster for election was all triad signs you know uh, these coded signs they do with their fingers yes so johnny toe knew he was making a category three <laughs> movie so he just put it on front street on the poster like boom deal with it i don't yeah. care if i got See a category three i'm I'm John. I'm Johnny Toe, um, <laughs> but but yeah, even like a Stephen Chow movie like Floating Scholar, his comedy yeah. that's category three, and you know the translation on on that is what it is. It's sort of a varies, but I think it's based on language. Certainly not violence. So uh, you know, yeah. even a movie with uh, rude language can get a category three rate, mm-hmm. rating. Same way it is here, you know, with when it comes to language, you know, you can get an R, and the only thing offensive it is, you know, stuff you could probably hear on cable, except they use the f bomb. Well, I guess, um, you know, since we're you know talking about the category three movies, do you have? Could you list th- three must see category three movies if that's possible? Like that you think everyone should go run out and check that are like what represents. Kind of the stereotypical uh, category three of you know rough, crazy stuff that you really couldn't see anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Well, the the answer is probably going to be different each time, but um, I mean, it, it's still fairly easy to single out the movie like Sex and Zen, okay. which is of the period erotic comedy nature and a very funny and creative and visually gorgeous um, movie. So uh, it's sort of that that's a reference point in terms of what they were. Doing it at the beginning of the nineties. Uh, the second would be Run and Kill, okay. directed by directed by Billy Tang, starring Simon Yam. A very dark and nasty, mm-hmm. sort of downward spiral black comedy. I would say, like uh, it's it's crazily violent and but very well made. And uh, do- I say darkly comic. I'm one of the few that sort of sees it as funny, but believe me, it's nothing family friendly in here, mm-hmm. and it's very. Uh, main character does you know commits a very big mistakes and it just continues to haunt him all throughout the movie as the violence mounts kind of thing and um uh, i really enjoy a run and kill and then finally naked killer okay which, which is you know a fireworks display of goofy humor such a stylish sensibility uh, clarence fox the director to me was a very you know his eye was for very stylish and very elegant and uh also coupled that with uh, with some crazy violence uh, toward men and uh, Simon Yam uh, having impotency issues uh, psychologically <laughs> and uh, someone eating, thinking he's eating a hot, hot dog, but he's eating a severed penis instead. Well, that's that's usually that's usually how you get some good revenge right there. Hong Kong uh, cinema for you. <laughs> One of the best poster campaigns ever for a Hong Kong movie that uh, lead actress Ching Miao with the gun belt over her naked body and the high yes. boots. And yes. uh, it, it's like a specific photo shoot they did for the movie, and it looks gorgeous. Uh, no wonder that movie sort of uh, became an icon. And it's a fun movie, too. It's a fun, energetic, stylish mm-hmm. um, movie, uh, very indicative of what Category 3 was. So, so um, I, I mean, I could have uh, I could have recommended a Charlie Cho sex comedy, but yeah. we only had three movies, of course. So uh, Yeah, 
well, that would be the next three, like False Lady and uh, yep. all that stuff. It's a good damn movie, though. <laughs> People who have seen Switch will recognize False Lady. It's essentially a remake of the Alan Barkin movie, Switch. Okay. Sounds good. Um, and those, of course, you know, um, I've, I've seen most of Sex and Zen, and I recently bought a DVD of uh, Run and Kill, so I'm looking forward to checking that crazy movie out. So I guess switching gears completely, one of the newest shows on um, Podcast and Fire is um, the uh, Golden Ninja podcast, which mm-hmm. was um, very interesting. I'm like, okay, okay, cool. Because up until... Another one? <laughs> like, is he not done yet creating shows? <laughs> yeah, well, no, like, it was interesting for the fact that um, I had just gotten to... Um, I had seen, of course, a bunch of these... Uh, ifd movies more ifd than film arc i think i had only seen robo vampire at that point but um mm. it was just something like you know these these movies are interesting but they're completely alien to me and then within like a a year span there was ninja the mission force that your co-host on the show ed glazer makes yes. and it's a great little parody of the of the these types of cut and paste movies but what was interesting was okay then you make the podcast and i'm like okay i can kind of get a little educated on these films and just the sheer amount of joy and information that you put into these films has kind of changed my viewing of them like i used to kind of think of them as kind of disposable entertainment but now i watch something like you know ninja terminator and i think man poor richard harris he went from enthusiastic to wanting to not be there anymore <laughs> nope indeed you can see it in his eyes that he um <laughs> he, he didn't enjoy that part of his career making these ninja action pictures for, yep. for 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 a company that wasn't all they did a shitty thing to him but it's the thing with uh how great of a shitty thing did they do to him well not as great as richard makes it out to be like he was aware of some of what he says he yeah. wasn't aware of so yeah and of course i guess his days of making shaw brother movies like marco polo were just kind of behind him it's amazing, isn't it, if you look back on him, uh, like, wow, look at that handsome, smiling gent. <laughs> and then watch him in Ninja Terminator and uh, and latter movies like Ninja Commandments. And he, he's not there anymore. <laughs> His days are behind. But, um, you know, getting to the actual main question, it's like, what, like, when did you, like, when you discovered what made IFD and Filmark movies so special to you that you felt you wanted to devote a show to them? It, it comes down to that same thing, like, but um, better, well, a more pronounced thing motivated, I suppose. One, these movies deserve a voice and as much correct info as we can provide. We're not the authorities on this. Like, I, I look up to other people who are authorities on these cut and paste movies that, and when we say that, they combine footage from like an older Taiwanese movie or Hong Kong movie and combine it with new footage with, uh, with no Western uh, Western actors in ninja outfits and then you have a new movie with uh, a variety of footage and I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by the film business aspect of it that this was a hit in the booming video market of the 80s and for a while and onwards uh, there's craftsmanship behind it some of the time they edit these different shoots together sometimes very smoothly and it's also very goofy and fun that this is the mixture that they went with uh, sort of inspired by enter the ninja but then taking it into their own sort of kooky territory mixing it with older movies that don't interact with with the ninjas at all and it, it's it's mostly fun i mean some of them are absolutely boring and just intolerable but they're mostly good fun and uh, 
we were sort of getting tired of uh, the misinfo out there regarding these. Uh, we, we're not asking them to be respected. Mm-hmm. That th- these are holy graves and things. No, no, no. They're, they're 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 good fun, but they're not art. They're their products, if anything. But we were sort of getting tired, some of us in the community, um, and again, I'm not the authority on these things, uh, that there was so much misinfo connected to it, mainly the fact that director Godfrey Ho did all of this. Godfrey oh, Ho yeah. did Robo Vampire, Godfrey Ho did blah, blah, blah. And they, nowadays there's so much more official truths available, and Godfrey Ho himself stating what he did and what he didn't do. For instance, Godfrey Ho never worked at Filmark, so if you don't see Godfrey Ho or Benny Ho on a movie, essentially, or Godfrey Hall, even, yeah, then it's not him. It's just that kind of cut-and-paste technique. Godfrey Ho didn't come up with that. But it happened to be at another company, Ninja. they happened to have Ninja Action cut-and-paste movies too, but they, they weren't uh, Godfrey Ho. So, I mean, it's sort of... We try to, not in a sort of we're not trying to big ourselves up by being a this on this and listen to us. We try to remain humble and that we want to be educated ourselves too uh, and further the information that others have dug up and credit them. So it's important to stay humble. And it's also important, I think, in any movie community and fandom to be inclusive. Yeah. Meaning that this is not exclusive info. This is not us... Uh, you know, bigging ourselves up as experts and listen to us. No, no, no. We want everybody to enjoy and everybody mm-hmm. to also work with the same information to sort of create the, as correct of a context as we can create. Because if we don't have the people to ask, sometimes it's hard to, you know, get a 100% like, boom, that was the actual fact. But yeah. we have enough out there. So I, I just pray and hope that we don't come off as uh, as too, too up ourselves so to say yeah, and uh, no, no, I don't think so at all I think it's very <laughs> respectful and um it, it's it's very impressive because it's you know a lot of people probably think of those movies as like oh those junky really poorly dubbed you know movies with these hack actors and, and, and they're um, not wrong they're necessarily not wrong either because yeah. they are but but sometimes I, I I just have a personal fascination with well there's info behind it yeah. Let's just pull that out of the gutter a little bit. Like that info, to me anyway, is yeah. fascinating. I'm is. not going to say that it appeals to anyone else but me and Ed Glazer necessarily. But <laughs> that's enough motivation to do a show. And we can because we come back to the podcasting aspect. You, anyone has a voice. Yeah. And anyone is allowed to share whatever they like about whatever they're passionate about. Like, like aside from movies, not, not to like uh, focus on your life necessarily and bring out like private details but like what's a second passion of yours tyler besides movies well that's the biggest passion really uh i guess i'm like truffaut in that way where it's like it's all centered that way um that cooking hiking you know good good stuff. you can do a cooking podcast tomorrow yeah and I that could. would be as valid as yeah. all the other hundreds of cooking podcasts out there so anyone should always remember that there's no standard to live up to if you just uh, provide a sincere and real and personal voice to it all. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. there's no wrong about podcasting except if you pr- uh, promote hate speech, I suppose. Then, 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 we don't, we don't want out that. Of, exactly. So, um, I think also within the sort of fandom of these IFD and Filmark movies, there it's usually lighthearted. There's, there's, I've encountered some strange stuff where people make up stuff and become very uh, protective of info. And and I'm not trying to squeeze them on info, but they become very 
protective of info and sort of start throwing accusations. And we've had accusations thrown our way of a very odd nature that we sort of, uh, it's, uh, we don't have the time to go into it, but essentially we were sort of accused of being, uh, providing conspiracy theories in terms of, (laughs) we, we provided a piece of info and a theory of something, right? Yeah. That turned out to be wrong. But this particular person took it as That's we're crazy. promoting misinfo and we're doing it consciously because we yeah. like it. And that's not the case, not at all. I'm happy to be corrected. But I yeah. couldn't I couldn't get anywhere rationally in that <laughs> uh, in that uh, argument it turned out. So I just sort of let it go and uh, hope, hope just hope that we do okay, but we can always do better. That's yeah. sort of my motto within all of this too. Yeah, it's the internet. There's always going to be some doubt. And, you know, it's it's a very obscure niche genre. I mean, these, these movies are, you know, there's not that much information out there. So you kind of have to mm-hmm. do your best to piece it together, yeah. you know? Exactly. Um, and I admire it because a lot of the work, you guys do a lot of the work. And when you listen, you, you kind of get a good understanding. And you, and you don't sugarcoat the movies, but it's... But there's respect there for these movies, which is very nice because it shows that even the lesser movies need something, you know, need Mm. respect, you know? Yeah, even movies that are... I've always sort of gone into movie reviewing, I guess, that way, which makes me a bad movie reviewer, possibly. But I can, you know, detest 50% of a movie and love 50% of uh, the rest of it and still come away... Sometimes thinking it's a classic, sometimes liking it, and uh, sort of providing almost two grades within one grade kind of thing. Like, I don't mind if there's weaknesses, if there's strengths elsewhere. Like, that doesn't... Uh, I, I don't need a fully five out of five movie to love a movie sometimes. You know what I mean, Tyler? Yeah. Growing up in Hong Kong cinema, or from, from my teens and onwards, I realized that not every section in all of these movies are going to be great. I mean, just look at the beginning of A Better Tomorrow. It's, it's kind of a kooky comedy, goofy oh, yeah. comedy. Or, and then it turns violent and serious. Or the flip-flop of that, something like Keen of Comedy, which is this, you know, crazy comedy. And then all of a sudden it turns into, oh, he's undercover with triads and gun runners. And there's yeah. actually people getting murdered. I'm like, oh, wow, where did this go? And um, I'm not very fond of that portion of King of Comedy, but I love the movie overall oh yeah. yeah same here and that's not a perfect five out of five movie for me i'd say it's probably closer to three because that does take you out of the movie and, and especially when you first see it you're kind of like oh no what happened what's did i put on the ron stephen chow we movies? just had the snot joke yeah. <laughs> where did that go elongated <laughs> snot joke in king oh. of Com. <laughs> oh my god or the or the infamous trying to mend a bullet wound and from Beijing with love and he puts on the porn video and he's trying to concentrate. I love the gun in from Beijing with love. It's a James Bond parody. So the gun uh, that Anita Yoon uses, it fires the right way, the -hmm. first bullet, but the reverse way, the other bullet. So she aims at Stephen Chow and shoots herself. And her arms are just flapping down with blood going everywhere. Yeah. And then the fact that there's like, a what did you do? <laughs> like the Oscar, what did you do? And the and the fact that there's a TV in the toilet in the next scene, I'm just like, okay, you know, that's one of my favorite Bond parodies of all time. Yeah. And he's using the Roger Moore movies to take notes, so that yeah. makes me even happier. Okay, so for anyone who uh, regularly listens to your podcast, you talk about um, 
laser discs a lot is is mm. laser discs your favorite format and what's the special appeal of laser disc compared to like dvd or blu-ray it, it is my favorite for format my favorite format is movies movies okay. on any format uh, you, the, the thing is i love laser discs and uh, it i guess it helps partly although anyone can start liking it you know in 2016 but it helps partly to have grown up and i'm sure you you can relate to this as well, growing up on physical media. Yeah. Um, you know, I grew up in the eighties. I was born in 79. So, you know, not really growing up in the seventies. I didn't know, didn't know, you know, anything about what happened in the seventies based on that one year. But I grew up on VHS and watched a ton of TV and taped, taped stuff from TV. So, in, you know, I move. I didn't own a laser disc player when I was younger because that was an expensive hobby. Very expensive. <laughs> and it, it was always designed to be that way. It's not. It's really the, sort of the same today, depending on what you look for. You you pay premium for certain things, but it's just. Um, I like physical media and I like weighty physical media. I like media that I can uh, that I essentially need to hold in my hands, maybe even in two hands. And it's it's not as good as dvd not as good as blu-ray and but there is something about uh, physical media that still gets to me you know and i like vhs uh you know as much as uh, much as anything too i like looking at something that comes in something yeah. you know in a box and what have you but you know that, that's not to say like i embrace the fact that we got you know great looking blu-rays great looking dvds and that we get so much uh, you know availability on digital too, uh, the fact that I can own movies, um, hopefully anyway, uh, forever and ever, if I buy something, that I can own movies that I have, you know, in my Apple TV, and I can watch whenever I like, and I can still have that. I, I can still be mesmerized by that experience because it sort of comes down to the fact that any movie is a good movie, even though I might have watched it, you know, full screen on VHS or widescreen on Laserdisc, and then again widescreen remastered on Blu-ray. It's all experiences kind of work for me. I might, I, I'm not that sadistic to go back to like heavily crop movies necessarily just for the yeah. fun of it. But no, no. like, I know, like, take Lone Wolf and Cub, for instance. I, I just got those on Laserdisc. Yeah. And they, they are rumored to come out on Blu ray, and I'll certainly get them um, better looking Blu rays. There's some poor looking Blu rays of Lone Wolf and Cub out there. Mm, but, I have uh, the, uh, the, um, the uh, Animago Blu rays, mm. and they're kind of. They're good, but they could, could be improved. Should be better indeed. And they're, they're, Criterion is rumored to be handling them next. So, but so I'll get that in a heartbeat. But I'll always love. I'll I'll certainly go back and watch select movies on on the laser discs as well because I'm when I'm in a good movie, man. Eh, I'm not looking there, sitting there, being annoyed by the fact that I, that it's standard definition only. It's old people media, old people quality. <laughs> you know. Yeah. It's oh, a, I'm the same way. Yeah, so it's a it's um disc is a favorite, but it's not my favorite. It's uh it really any format will do essentially. Shit. I own okay. I have a bunch of VCDs because some of the VCDs are not even on DVD or anything and are not yeah. gonna be on digital. So you have to sort of if you're passionate about something, you have to go where the availability is and uh mm-hmm. laserdiscs are cool. They just are and uh they're 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 fun to look at and fun to hold and it's a cumbersome format, of course, because mm-hmm. uh, you could have, you know, a long movie on a couple of discs. Yes, um, yeah. it's a uh, Jurassic it's, Park one. Oh man, the, yeah, and I have the dance. Jurassic Park is four discs. <laughs> yeah, it's like 
extra content and all of that. So there's tons of stuff in that box. And I mean, I even got the um, Dances with Wolves director's cut on Laserdisc, and that's uh, like a free disc there. And and uh, but the box is amazing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's oh, a big yeah. box with a CD and a book in it as well. So um, oh, yeah, that's how uh, mine is of the Abyss. Except all mine are. I recently moved, so I still have a lot of my laser discs in storage. Mm-hmm. But I do have a laser disc player and about thirty-five laser discs. Yeah, I, I should state also that I don't have an eye for image and sharpness and how things are supposed to look mm-hmm. or, or sound, for that matter. I don't have an ear for like, oh, the detail in the sound is much better on the laser disc versus DVD and blah blah blah. I, I don't have that because I I don't know that stuff. I don't have that knowledge. So. Uh, so to me, most stuff looks all right. Yeah. You know, it's uh, when I watch it in high dev, yeah, that looks all right too. But yeah. it doesn't make me want to never go back to a LaserDisc, for instance, or a VHS. So no, hell no. It's uh, it's all valid because the movies are. If I love a movie, then um, I'll I'll watch it on VHS yeah. again. Like I, I have a better tomorrow on VHS. I've and DVD. I think I watched the VHS more times just because. Uh, yeah, why not? It's there. Um, that's that's how it is. I mean, I have. I think the only good-looking Hong Kong VHS I have is I have From Beijing with Love, and then I have the DVD, because I'm afraid that tape's going to die one day. But yeah, I think as long as the movie, is, if most of the image is there, I mean, it can be semi-cropped, but as long yeah, as yeah, it's yeah. not like a, a 4.3 and this was a big-scale, you know, widescreen film that got trimmed and you can't tell what's going on. That, that's Yeah, when, when, you, when you really start comparing it, then you realize sometimes how much you lose. And I mean, I, 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 that, that's why I'm hesitant to go back and forth like that. Yeah. Yes, I have like Suspiria on cropped Japanese laser discs just because I, I, I thought it was widescreen, right? <laughs> but yeah. uh, it, I, I still watched it once because uh, just to geek out a little bit on Suspiria, that's like the only Japanese laser disc of that movie that has the surround track the widescreen versions on japanese laser disc were all mono yeah. and then finally we got a u.s laser disc of suspiria in widescreen and with the surround sound so uh you know in reality you know it's the u.s uh, disc that uh, that counts but suspiria is cool to own on japanese laser disc because they, they sort of uh, they had a sense of a sense of different style when it comes to cover artwork and oh, yes. uh, so, uh, and I like Suspiria quite a bit, so I don't mind owning four Laserdiscs. Are we going to three, four? Yeah, four. Oh, no, I think that'd be great. That's like my favorite movie of all time is Argento's Tenebrae, and I can, mm-hmm. I've i got at least four copies of it, and if another Blu-ray comes out other than the one that just did, I'll buy it again. You know? uh-huh. Yeah, totally. Okay, well, to kind of finish up, um, before we uh, you know finish this interview, do you have any future plans that you want to talk about or share? Well, um, I don't make extensive future plans, but I'm always planning stuff. We always have stuff to do in the in the pipeline in terms of the podcast. But uh, I mean, if anything, I um, after our two hundredth episode um, from uh, late last year, I think autumn uh-huh. last year, some something like that. Our two hundredth episode of podcast on fire. That is, so, I mean, we've done in total over two hundred episodes uh, by that point. You know, uh, all shows combined. But I promised myself that I would pursue interviews a little bit more uh, and that was like a promise to flex my so to say creative muscles a little bit more challenge myself in terms of my research process a little bit more so i I mean there has been a few interviews up there with um, before and since with richard norton brian trenchard smith and Mm -hmm. uh, things like that 
but so I'm, I'm working on that even though it's slow work and I, I you know I'm not Mark Maron or anything no, no one's lining up to be interviewed by me yeah. but uh, I have to say I, I drew a little bit of inspiration from Mark in terms of his interview style and attitude and um, it, it provided a little bit of uh, inspiration while listening to his interviews with people and uh, I, I mean it's um, that that's like the extent of the plans it does of uh, like I don't have any other interview subject lined up after those Brian Trenchard Smith interviews goes up and and they are connected to Hong Kong cinema his uh, movies uh, to a degree so it fits uh, yeah but uh, but otherwise uh, we you know on, on podcast on fire we try to provide like recognizable Hong Kong cinema picks and uh, of the movies uh, picks of the movies we cho- choose to review but um, like the radical plan, if anything, is to talk a little bit about American movies with connection to okay. Hong Kong directors and stars. Um, at the same time, also dig a little bit deeper, uh, ever so slightly, for movies that matter to us from Hong Kong. Because you're going to clear out all the Jackie Chan's and Sam Hong's eventually. So th- there's an episode that I've just finished editing that focuses on the social drama The Lunatics. Okay. That's uh, Chai, in fact, has seen it briefly, but uh, it's a supporting role and it's a very dark and violent movie about uh, mental health. Okay. Uh, it's a classic Hong Kong movie, very dark. And we pair that up with uh, Chai, in fact's American debut, uh, The Replacement Killers. Yeah, good, good so little mix. I, I kind of am keen on that idea to, okay. uh, you know, and even watch like, uh, you know, some, some Jean-Claude Van Damme movies by Hong Kong directors, you know, do knockoff, for instance, which I'm a huge <laughs> fan of. I love knockoff. Such <laughs> that, a stupid that's, movie. That's a but, crazy uh, one. Like the, the humor of Double Team never translated to me. But I love the humor of uh, knockoff. And it's sort of a Hong Kong movie at the same time because uh, there's a lot of recognizable people in there. Michael Wong is in it, and that's fantastic. So, uh, mm-hmm. and, and any movie, and I always say this, that chooses to place the camera so to say within a knockoff sneaker as it breaks from 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 the inside you know to showcase that in detail how how that would look any movie that does that and knockoff indeed does that gets mm-hmm. sort of my eye going like hmm, okay hello big boy yeah. let's uh, let's uh, let's watch you and see what you are up to <laughs> So uh, That's that a good that way was to describe. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, you know, expect that on, on the show, like a mixture, because we're not going to run out of movies. That's not the point. But uh, you got to change tack, and sometimes you have an idea, even though it's not a revolutionary idea, that sort of make you go, oh, "All right, okay. I like that. Let's pursue that." So I, I, I try not to um, uh, bury any ideas I have. I, I sort of pursue most of the things, of the few things I come up with. That is, okay. I'm not you, an idea uh, man, Tyler. <laughs> Well, I, I don't know. The, the Golden Ninja podcast is really good. Are, are you interested at all in doing an episode on The Corruptor with uh, Mark Wahlberg and Cheyenne Fat? Sure, sure thing. Because uh, we, we sort of, I saw that back then and it didn't really connect with me. But I've heard it sort of stayed favorable in people's eyes. Oh, and, definitely. I mean, I like James Foley enough as a director. So I'm, I'm keen on returning to that um, like uh, I mean, let, let's say I saw it in two thousand. So I mean, it is that long ago. Um, so so yeah, it it would fit. It would fit for, um, for our coverage uh, definitely. So yeah. Oh yeah, I think it's it's a little it's a better performance from Chow, at least in my opinion, uh, mm-hmm. compared to Replacement Killers. But uh, we'll we'll figure out what uh, you thought of the movie when the episode comes out. Indeed. Okay. Well, cool. 
Well, Ken, thank you for uh, letting me uh, drone on and ask you questions for uh, almost two hours. Oh, um, well, well, thank you for showing interest and letting me uh, drone on in return. And uh, hopefully mm-hmm. it, uh, it's not too intolerable. Oh, no, I don't think so. I could go on forever. But I do realize there's only so many time, you know, so much time in the day. Well, thank you, Ken. And um, if you could kind of give your contact information for everyone who wants to check out So Good Reviews and the like. Well, those uh, two uh, main sites that I occupy, uh, SoGoodReviews.com, that's my written reviews, and uh, PodcastOnFire.com is where you'll find that show and all our other network shows. And it's easy to pick. We have little colorful buttons to the right side, so you can pick uh, pick your poison, whether you're into Korean cinema, Slisa cinema, ninja cinema, and uh, stuff like that. So um, check us out, and thank you if you already uh, are a listener and uh, listen to this uh, this excellent podcast as well. Like, like, well like thank a, you. Like a podcast that chooses to name itself after such a wonderfully strange and stupid scene in uh in a floor <laughs> in a floor uh, my my hat's off to you that you zeroed in yeah. on giant fats dialogue from a better tomorrow too but my, my my when i think of that scene i mean it's all uh it's a wonderful this, just this stupid scene stinks. Uh, but I, li- I like the other guy better like let me talk to your greasy manager right <laughs> i will have to say um most of the t- um you know I I thank the title for my co-host AJ. He's a, uh, you know his his schedule's kind of crazy. So sometimes our, our we we don't have a weekly podcast. It's more of just when we can fit it in there. But uh, yeah, we were we were trying to think of something shy and fat related for our show, and, mm-hmm. and he was just like, "Well, why do you call it Apologize the Podcast?" I'm like, you know what? Yes. So we're there. We're there. Uh, excellent choice. And uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't like that movie all the way through. It's such mm-hmm. a flawed movie, better tomorrow too. Uh, but uh, my God, is it a good action movie? But but that scene in particular, like Chai Fat does his best. My <laughs> God, he does his best with the English he had at the time and the writing they provide yes. for him. What can I do for you, sir? And uh, <laughs> and like uh, like Rice is my family. Don't yes. fuck with my family. Don't fuck with my family. It's, it's so, beautiful. Uh, it's beautiful. <laughs> And then he eats the rice off the effing floor as well, and that floor yeah. doesn't look clean at all. So I mean, God, man! It's, it's a New York Chinese restaurant. It's it's a little a little messy, especially in the eighties. Thank you for being on, and uh, but yeah, guys, definitely check out uh, Ken's work over at Podcast of Fire, and check out his mini reviews where you'll see plenty of different movies from Hong Kong classics with Jackie Chan and Chai and Fat to sleazy stuff with Charlie Cho. A little bit of everything, like you mm-hmm. said, pick your poison. And we're going to head out and cue the silly music. <laughs>